this evening. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this evening and go to Galatians chapter chapter 5. All right. As we're still going through this book of the Bible together. And uh, pray for them, if you will, as we're considering a, uh, another book for Sunday mornings. We finished up uh, Jonah a Sunday or so back now, a couple Sundays back. Um, three Sundays back, <laughs> I guess it was. But uh, So we're looking at another one, and one I can't really get off my mind at the moment, and for some time really, but um, is this one, First Peter. So I'm thinking about going through First Peter as Peter's writing to scattered believers who are under great uh, trial of their faith, under great persecution. And great distress, and it's going through the ringer, you know. And so I'm really praying about that one. Um, I believe since it's not gotten off my mind, my heart, I believe it might be the direction, very well direction God have for us in our Sunday Sunday mornings. So just pray for me, if you will, and uh, we'll be going that direction, Lord willing. All right. But First Peter is, is a good book to study, as he's writing again to strengthen the brethren. Remember when Jesus looked at Peter one day and said, "When thou art converted." He wasn't necessarily talking about salvation there, all right? But he said, when you are converted to strengthen the brethren, and I believe that's exactly what the, uh, the epistles of Peter are all about, trying to strengthen, encourage, help the church, help the brethren. So anyway, so we may be diving into that very soon on Sunday mornings, even as soon as this coming Sunday, so you pray for me on that. But for today, we're in Galatians, as we're still studying that on Wednesday evenings, and uh, chapter 5 is where we've been landing for several Wednesdays now, as been considering this main topic that we found in uh, Galatians 5, 7, when he said, you did run well. But who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Meaning the Galatians at this moment were uh, disobedient to the truth and something was hindering them in their Christian race. And we've already looked at several things that were hindrances. We know that there are hindrances in our life as well as we try to run the uh, Christian race. But we need to avoid those. And Paul uh, did not just leave it up to the Galatian believers to figure it out on their own how to avoid those hindrances. No, he told us how to do that. And the main one we're looking at is this one, walk in the Spirit. Because listen, as we do that, as we live our lives walking in the Spirit, these hindrances will begin to wane. They will not be as, as um, uh, easily to hinder us in our race as we walk in the Spirit. And as we consider this verse in verse uh, number 16, when Paul says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. As we consider this verse, we know it's still, listen, it is still a command, not a suggestion. It is a command. And then we notice from this as well in verse 17, there is a conflict with walking in the Spirit. A conflict between the sinful nature we were born with, that is the flesh, and the Holy Spirit which we were sealed by. Every born-again believer has this conflict as we try to walk in the Spirit. Even Paul himself struggled with this. So it's a command. But yes, there is also a conflict. But as of late, we've been looking at the crop of it as we walk in the Spirit. The first crop we saw was the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21. And these works are absolutely horrendous. They're horrid. They stink. This fruit, these works are just terrible, terrible fruit. You don't want in your life. But if they show up, that's just evident to let us know that in that moment, we're definitely, we're not walking in the Spirit. Rather, we're walking in the flesh. But as we've been looking at this, at this crop, here's where we've been landing. And that is with this crop, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So let's get back to that this evening and look at verse number 22 and 23. The Bible says, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we thank you for another opportunity to open the Word of God and study it together. And I pray that uh, you would help us to be encouraged and edified today as we study it. Help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to have this, the fruit of the Spirit evident and flow out of our lives. And as we consider this one this evening of faith, help us to be people just of that, people of faith, people who trust God and live our, live our lives accordingly to, the, to walk by faith and not, and not by sight. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we consider the fruit of the Spirit, just by way of recap, be reminded, the first one we looked at was love. And we looked at this one, first of all, because it would seem all the other elements of the fruit of the Spirit are really an outgrowth of the fruit of love. Because everything flows out of this deep, rich, fertile ground of God's love. And it's not a love that the world portrays. It's a love that God defines. And by the way, God is the only one that can define all right, define love, define life, define all. God is the only one. We don't get that privilege to define what love is, okay? Only God does, and God is love. Uh, so just keep that in your back pocket, all right? When people try to uh, redefine terms and redefine what love is, don't let them do it. God is the only one that can do that. So we looked at love. It's God's love. It's a holy love. It's a selfless love, a one-way love expecting nothing in return. And this is a type of love that flows as we walk in the Spirit. Then we saw joy. Again, this is not the exact same thing as happiness because happiness is based on what? It's based on happenings. It's based on the circumstances around us. That's what happiness is, right? But joy is different. Why is joy different? Joy is different because it has a different foundation. And joy's foundation is in Jesus. And since Jesus does not change, we can have joy as we walk in the Spirit. Then we saw peace. Uh, peace is something that everyone craves, yet seems many times people are missing. Why? Because they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Looking for what the world has to offer. Looking for it in different um, relationships or whatever it may be. They're trying to look in so many places other than Jesus. But what did Jesus say? He said this in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me, in me, you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Listen, you only find peace in Jesus. Why? He's the God of peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Many people are searching for it and, and long for it and want it, but they're searching in all the wrong places. You can find peace in the Lord. And we can experience peace day by day as we walk in the Spirit. Then we saw this one, the fourth one, long-suffering. And be reminded this means to suffer long. It means to endure. It means to exhibit constancy, to be steadfast, to persevere. And anyone that's walking in the Spirit, again, this will be flowing out of their life, someone who's long-suffering someone who's patient, someone who's enduring. Then we saw this one, gentleness. Now, what does it mean for someone to exhibit gentleness? Well, gentleness means this. 
Uh, it does not mean rather you're being soft or a pushover. Rather, it is this. It is someone who has in their power to not be kind, yet they are. Remember, that's what David was. In his power, he had the right to really get rid of, even destroy Mephibosheth. But he said, I want to show him the kindness of God. And that's exactly what he did. So gentleness is kindness, showing kindness, especially when it's in your power not to. Then we saw this. We saw this last time. We saw goodness. Now what is goodness? Again, a simple definition. It is uprightness of heart and life. It is that which is characteristically good in itself, and because of that, it will be beneficial in its effect. So goodness is an action from you to others. And we looked at that in the life of Barnabas, as the Bible says about him in Acts eleven twenty four. for he, Barnabas, was a good man. He was a good man. He showed, uh, he showed goodness, the goodness of God, really, as he walked in the Spirit towards Paul, remember? And towards the, the Christians at Antioch. He, he showed goodness to them as God worked in his life and as God was good to him and as he walked in the Spirit, goodness flowed out of his life. So if anything good that comes out of us, it's not us, it's, it's the Lord. Be reminded of that. And as we come to number seven here, we look in this evening, we're looking at this trait or element of the fruit of the spirit of faith. All right. Now, what is faith? What is faith? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse one, now faith is, he's defining it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Simply put, faith is the act or attitude of believing trust. All right. It is the act or attitude of believing trust. Now, whether you realize it or not, we all operate every single day in at least dozens of ways, if not hundreds of ways, in faith without even thinking about it. For instance, how many of you got up this morning and, 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 and walked? Anybody? You, you got out of bed and you walked. Did you even think about it or did you just operate in faith believing you could walk? You just operated in faith believing you, you could walk. Okay. All right, let me ask you this. Who got in your car and started it up without even thinking about it? Maybe some of you are like, I hope it starts this morning. I don't know, but <laughs> sometimes we think that way. But most of us, we get in our car, crank it up without even thinking about it, operating in faith. How about this one? How many of you have eaten fast food this week or even today? You operating in faith, my friend, I'm telling you that. You think it's food. We hope it is. We don't know, right? But we hope they didn't spit in it this time. I don't know. Probably just grossed you out, but uh, don't let that hold you back from going to your favorite fast food restaurant, Chick-fil-A all the way. Amen. But anyway, but we, we operate in faith every single day, whether we realize it or, or not. In every ordinary instance of life, we are going to operate in some form or fashion in faith, but what makes faith important? Would you, would you believe with me this evening that faith is important, yes or no? Let me see your hand. All right, most of you raise your hand. Faith is important, absolutely. And why would faith be even listed in these traits of, of the fruit of the Spirit? Why is it, what makes it important? Why is it important? Really, what makes it important? Well, it's this. This is what makes all the difference when it comes to faith. It's the object of faith. 
I like what John Phillips said. He said this, Our everyday, ordinary faith becomes saving, securing, and sanctifying faith when it is placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's the object of faith that makes all the difference. Listen, our faith, when it's misplaced, it can lead to absolute disaster. But when it's placed in the Lord, the Bible says in Mark 9, 23, all things are possible to him that believeth. You see, it's the object of faith. It's where we put our faith. That's what makes all the difference, and that's, that's what's the important part. I uh, talking with an individual even today along these lines, and so many people are putting their faith in the wrong things. They're really, they're believing the lies of the devil. They're having faith in the lies of of the devil over the truth of God. And that faith that's misplaced is leading to great destruction because that's what the devil wants to do. He's a destroyer. That's, his, that's one of his names, a destroyer. But when you put your faith in God, in the word of God, all things are possible to him that believeth. And a great example of this, I would like to go to Luke chapter 7. So turn with me, if you will, by way of illustration, really, but go to Luke chapter 7. I want you to see this. There's many people we can look at this evening when it comes to this area of faith and operating in that. We can look at David. We can look at Daniel. Uh, we can look at disciples. Uh, yes, we can even go back and look at Barnabas again. Even the Bible says that he was a, a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and faith. We can look at him again, but there's one man I really want to look at. He doesn't have a, uh, he didn't have a name. He's just given, uh, we just know him by his title. And that's a centurion, a centurion man. We don't know his first and last name, just know him as a centurion. In Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10, I want you to look at it with me because there's an interesting uh, phrase that's said about Jesus when he looks at this man. And I want you to see it. Luke chapter 1, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says, Now when it had ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was, a worth, was worthy of whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation. He hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. It was now not far from the house. The centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, Trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under, under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, let's look at this, look. Look at verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. At him, and turned him about, turned to the people that was following him, turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. You see, in this text here, in verse number nine, the Bible says that Jesus marveled at this man's faith. He marveled. What does it mean to marvel? It means this. It means to wonder at. It means to admire. It means to have an admiration.
hoard. So this tells me this faith of this centurion is something that absolutely, listen, absolutely amazed Jesus. Jesus completely admired this man's response of faith toward the Lord. Uh, so as I read this, I try, to, I try to use my sanctified imagination to, as I read Scripture. And so I picture in my mind, as I, as I see this interaction here between Jesus and the people, and between the, the, the rulers of the Jews and the centurion, and all these things going on, I try to picture in my mind, uh, what, what, what's going on at this moment? So I believe that Jesus is, is, is hearing what's going on. He's looking at these servants sent from the centurion. He's, he's looking at even the, the Jews that are, that are following him and the, the leaders of the Jews. And he's looking at these, these servants. And he's not in complete shock because nothing surprises God, right? That's not necessarily what Marvel is. It's not complete shock at, at all necessarily. Uh, he's wondering at it. But he's looking at the situation not in shock with mouth wide open, but rather this way. I believe as Jesus is thinking about this man, the centurion wasn't even there. He wouldn't come because he felt so unworthy. But he's looking at the servants and looking at people following. I believe he responds with, as he said in verse number 9, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. I think he's saying it with a smile. I think he is saying it with a smile on his, on his faith because Jesus is just experiencing a man who has full and complete true faith in him. And what does the Bible say about that kind of faith? Hebrews eleven six. 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So understand it is faith in the Lord that pleases the Lord. It is faith in Jesus that makes Jesus, if I can say it this way, not being disrespectful, makes him happy, all right? I believe it pleases God. He admires that. He marvels at this. So please understand this evening. Trust our faith in God pleases him. Puts a smile on his face. Again, I'm not trying to belittle who the Lord is, not like that, but you understand what I'm trying to say. It pleases God. And this man did just that with his great, great faith. But the only reason, again, the only reason his faith was so great was because the object of his faith. Again, it has to have an object. Our faith has to be in something or in someone. It can't just be, well, I just have faith. All right? You just have faith in what? This centurion could have said, I have faith in the local doctors to heal my servant. He could have said that, but that object would have been a lesser object to have his faith in. Same faith, lesser object. So we've got to have faith in something. We've got to believe in something. We've got to have confidence and trust in, in something. Our faith, our trust, our confidence will always have a source or object. An object of this centurion's faith is the same as ours today, should be. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So his faith was so great. Why? As Jesus said, so great faith. Why was it so great? Why? Because the object. Because the object, it was in Jesus. That's what made his faith so good and so great. But his faith also was great as in this way, as in amount as well. 
Uh, the word for great here in Luke chapter 7, it does denote quantity, all right? Uh, it gives off the thought of a large amount, meaning he did have a lot of belief, a lot of trust, a lot of faith in, in Jesus. And again, the question for me, as I, at least I read it again today, is this, why or how did he get a lot of faith? Uh, how did this man have a, uh, a large amount of faith and how did it increase? How did he have a lot of it? And I believe the answer is found in verse number 3 of Luke chapter 7. Look at it again with me. The Bible says, And when he, that's the centurion, the centurion, when he, what's the next word? Heard. When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. So when he heard, it was in that moment with that light, with that truth of Jesus that his faith began to grow, began to increase when he heard of Jesus. But how did he hear? Again, look at verse number 1. Now when he had ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into, what's that word? Capernaum. He entered into Capernaum. Now, if you were to look at the record of Jesus' miracles, which we went through a while back now, but if you would, you would find that the, the second miracle that he did was the healing of the nobleman's son. But where did he do that? I'll tell you. In John chapter 4, and verse 46, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. It was from Capernaum that he performed this second, at least recorded miracle for us. And remember, that nobleman, he would have been some kind of ruler, some kind of official or, or lord under Herod, all right? And with the centurion being a leader himself, maybe, maybe the centurion and this nobleman crossed paths together. Maybe the centurion even had heard a testimony from this nobleman, how Jesus healed his son, not with a physical touch, but rather with but a word. Again, the Bible says in John 4, 50, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. So maybe this nobleman and his testimony told the people, the centurion may be hearing this, that Jesus spoke but a word and healed my son. And centurion heard that. And then when his servant was sick, he remembered what he heard. He remembered the testimony of that nobleman. And he said this. Look at verse 7. Chapter 7 of Luke, verse number 7. Wherefore neither, this is, the, this is the, the centurion speaking through his servants to Jesus. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But here it is, look, look. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. He didn't say maybe. He didn't say I hope so, cross my fingers, send me good vibes. He said no, you speak a word and it will happen. Maybe because he heard what Jesus did for the nobleman. This centurion knew that the Lord Jesus was all-powerful. So powerful that Jesus, all he had to do was to command the sickness to flee. For Jesus to command the sickness to obey the very word of Jesus himself. He believed that. He said he shall be healed. The centurion believed, he trusted, had faith in, listen, the word of Jesus. <laughs> he had such great faith in the word of Jesus and without hesitation. 
He did not ask for any more explanation. He did not ask for more definition. He just believed it. And that was good enough. That is great faith. That's what great faith looks like when somebody believes the word of God, believes what Jesus has said without hesitation, not needing any more explanation and any more definition. He just believes God. And that kind of faith, Jesus marveled at. It was admiring. In this Gentile man, he marveled marveled at it. He marveled at this man's faith. And he said these words when he said, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He was looking at, I believe, the Jewish leaders, the elders of the Jews from verse number three that were following him. He turned and told them this. <laughs> because listen, if there's anybody that's going to have great faith in this moment and in, in this miracle and in Luke chapter seven in that moment, if anybody's going to have great faith, it should have been those elders of the Jews. Because remember, they were the Jewish leaders, the, the, the religious leaders of the day, and they had so much access to Scripture. They knew more about the, the Word of God. They could quote it. They could teach it. They could preach it. Uh, they knew more about the light of Scripture than this Gentile man did. Yet they did not believe it as the Gentile man did. So no wonder Jesus turned and said, Look, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. But he found it in Capernaum from a centurion Gentile man. So this centurion Gentile man was full of faith, and he's living proof of this truth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, For the God nothing shall be impossible. He, he was living proof of this verse in Jeremiah 32, 32, 17. Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out, and, and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Listen, this centurion believed that. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. He had great faith. Let me ask you a question this evening. You don't have to answer out loud. Just answer to yourself and think to yourself, all right? Are you satisfied with your faith? Your trust in God? Your belief in Him? Your confidence in Him? Your trust for the Word of God? Yes, we trust Him enough to save us. But what about everything else? Do you trust Him? Do you believe Him? Are you satisfied with the amount of faith you have in your great God? Do you have all the faith that you need and want? Maybe some would say, yeah, I'm pretty satisfied. I don't, I don't need any more. But if you're like me, I kind of have to agree with this father. In Mark chapter 9, verse 24, when he said, And straightway the father child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe... But help thou mine unbelief. I would say most of us will be like that dad. Oh, I do believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Help me in the areas when I'm struggling. I need more faith in this area and that area. Lord, I need my faith to increase. But how does that happen? How does this faith happen? More faith in my life happen? Well, I'll tell you, it happens just like it happened with the centurion. 
It happens with him when you hear more about Jesus. That's how it happens. Again, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh, here's how it comes, here's how we get it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is how our faith is increased as we're in the Bible, as we read the Bible, as we hear the teaching and preaching of the Bible. This is how our faith is increased. It's from the Bible, therefore it must be in the Bible. And not just read it. But obey it and live by it. I promise you, your faith began to increase evermore in the Lord. You know, I believe the greatest thing I could ever do to help people, I want to help people. That is on my heart. If there's, if there's a, a foundational thing, what is your desire, pastor? My desire is just to help people. And that was one thing that I told some friends of mine who were graduating from Bible college. And, and uh, I, 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 just so you guys know, my, my major was, uh, it's a double major when you go to ambassador, but it was uh, an evangelist and Bible, right? Uh, so you, go, you take the evangelist classes, you go out to be an evangelist. So one person asked me, you're graduating as an evangelist? You're getting a truck and trailer going on the road? And I said, nope. <laughs> Why'd you go to an evangelist or take the evangelist class? I said, because I heard it was easier. That's why I took evangelist course, all right? Hey, man, I'm so spiritual. But anyway, so, so uh, but they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I just want to help people. That's all. I just want to help people. And I think one of the greatest ways we can help people is this way right here. Pointing people to the Bible. Pointing people to Scripture. But, Pastor, I thought the greatest thing we could ever do is point people to Jesus. Yes, absolutely. They're not, they're not separate from one another, just so you know. All right? They're not one, one thing and one's another. No, they're, 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 they're the same. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They're, they're the same, right? But besides, how would somebody know about Christ and, and know about Jesus, know about salvation, know about following the Lord, know about surrender, know about faith, as we're looking at it, if they didn't know the Bible as our authority and, and guide? We wouldn't know any of these things. So the best thing we could ever do to help people is point them to the truth, point them to the Word of God. They hear lies, so many lies outside these doors and, and from the world day in and day out. And what do they need? They need the truth. And people, I believe, are starving for biblical answers that they can apply to their very life. There's so many lies from the devil, from the world, from our emotions and flesh that need truth of the Word of God. So one of the best things we could ever do is point people to the Bible if we want to help them. Get them in the Word. Get them into the Word, and the Word gets into them. We need to be in the Word, and the Word needs to be in, in us. Because as we're in the Word of God, we will find and encounter and experience the God of the Word. It's so important. So how's your faith? Pretty good. It's okay. Want more of it? I would dare say most of us need more, want more, desire more than we've got to get in the Word. Let the Word get in us. So faith is another trait or element of the fruit of the Spirit. It will be something that's evident in our life. 
our trust in God, our faith in God, our confidence in God will be another element, a trait. It'll be evident in our life. It'll flow out of our lives. Listen, here it is. As we are walking in the Spirit, we will trust God more and more because all things are possible to him that believeth. We have faith in so many things. People put, people put their faith in Washington, D.C., <laughs> you know, so. They put their faith in government to help them, this, that, and the other. We know that's not always the case. But I do know this, that God has never let me down. Times of life, you go through, don't quite understand them all. Lord, I'm, I don't understand this one, one bit. I don't, but I know you're good. You've never let me down, and I will trust you. We can trust him. And as we walk in the Spirit, that trust and confidence and faith will begin to flow and increase out of our life, even, even when times of life don't make sense, they don't seem so good. You know, the person that comes to mind that operated that way when life was absolutely upside down was Job. Even after all the things he went through, what did he say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The only thing he had left, the only thing he had left was his very own life. And so that's the only thing he was going to trust. That's the only thing he had to trust God with, his very own life. The last thing he had, he was going to give it all to God, still trust him. 